Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Now, I have a very quick little programming note. It's nothing bad. It's actually all good things. It's just me wanting to thank you all. So if you want to skip ahead, skip ahead. I will include the... I forgot the, the timestamps, thank you, in the description. But if not, I have just a quick little thank you. This is not really like a PBS style. I'm not asking for your money. Don't worry. I just want to say thank you and let you know where you or your friends can now catch Miami Vice since it has been taken off Peacock and NBC. First of all, I want to thank you so much. It's actually my 15th episode and I'm over 700 downloads. This is super exciting. I know that I was, this podcast was always going to be a labor of love and kind of a love letter to the show itself. I never expected to have ads just because the market is quite niche with Miami Vice now not even being available to stream on either Peacock or NBC. The only place in America where you can currently watch for free is the Roku channel. I tested out last night. Aside from that, I think in Canada, you can unfortunately buy it on Apple TV plus, um, or you can get it through other means, wink, wink. And it is very frustrating that this show that is so historically important, I understand it's 38 years old, but it's 30, it's very historically important. You know, those now in stereo messages you'd see on 90s primetime shows, that is because of Miami Vice. Miami Vice was the first show to be broadcast in stereo sound. And the 80s continue to have nothing but a resurgence. Running Up That Hill was the number one song this week, thanks to Stranger Things. Everyone's in love with Stranger Things. So speaking of the 80s, why can't we have Miami Vice available to stream? Oh, because they don't want to actually pay for the music and for the rights. It's very frustrating. It's very, very, very frustrating. I know that Universal paid $3 million in, I believe, 2005 or 2006 for the DVDs. However, now in 2022, when you could have a huge market of people who are obsessed with the 80s and want to learn more about what life was really like then, from a perspective actually told in the 80s, not from someone telling it how they're thinking back on it from 2022, from actually current events at that time. We get the Concord in Miami Vice. We got wireless phones. Oh my God, they actually mentioned mobile phone later on this episode. It's very funny. Like this actually took place in the 80s and it was such a groundbreaking show. I wish it would get more respect that it deserves. And actually I'm gonna tie that into thanking you all because someone posted on the subreddit today not the day, this weekend, about how the show is really underrated, doesn't get the respect it deserves, and it kind of um, led to a conversation about the content creators that are paying tribute, that are posting about my white stuff. I took a lot of it to heart, and I don't mean that in a sad way. There's only one way you can go in life, and I can either keep myself very narrow-minded and only want to do what I want to do, or I can listen to other people and give the people what they want. So I have experienced Expanded the kind of like the countdown, the categories, and I'm not so much going to shorten the recaps because the really good recap podcasts I've done have been able to take really funny scenes, really funny one-liners, and tell the story very succinctly and subtly, and touch on the scenes that made you question or kind of piqued your interest as a viewer and I think it can be done well so obviously there are certain podcasts that I hold in a very high regard that I'm looking to inspiration for this and I want to be very entertaining very funny and I do have a lot of support and that really does mean the world to me because I don't expect to get rich off this this is like a labor of love ideally what I would I've always planned for happen because I don't expect this to make ad revenue I don't really 
have enough content to make a Patreon. And I really don't like when people specifically cut episodes short or won't tell you the good stuff unless you subscribe to the Patreon. I think it's kind of like twisting my arm. I would rather... I work in a bar, so I'm used to tips. I'd rather give someone Patreon money and enjoy content rather than being kind of coerced into it. And just because of my schedule and just because of the hours I work and where I live, I wouldn't be able to do kind of those like fun watch alongs on a schedule that would work for most people. And I don't know how much extra content I could create that would really be interesting that would necessitate a Patreon membership. Also, I'd rather give it for free. I basically, when I thought of this podcast, I agreed with myself, this is the plan, is five years, it was two years, all five seasons. Two years, all five seasons, 112 episodes, if I'm counting correctly, a little bit over two years. And it's tough, but I think I can do it. That's the plan. I never really expected to get rich off this podcast because again, it's a very niche audience. It's a great audience. I love you all. Thank you for watching the show. Thank you for loving what I love so dearly. But again, no one's going to get rich off a podcast of a 38-year-old show. So I don't expect any money. If I do get some ads, that'd be great. Not really looking for that. Ideally, what I would like is to get more work from this. People hear my voice or people you know, want me to host another podcast, want to pay me. Do you know that even some podcasters don't have to do their own research? They don't have to clip their own media? Can you imagine? Oh my God. And they get paid for it? <laughs> One can dream. It's not really, I think this is, as much as it is a little bit time consuming and sometimes I do get a little bit, you know, sad. I don't get to see my friends as much, but it's like, you know what? All these things will pay off in the end. And that has been my attitude ever since I moved to America is that you can't, you do have to sacrifice a lot of things to get what you want. And I don't think it's 100% a healthy way to live to sacrifice everything to have these goals because not everything works out according to plan. Nice guys always don't always finish first. Most of the time they finish last. You can work all your life, save, and everything you know, draw wrong in drop of a hat. So I'm trying to live a more balanced life. But yes, I will continue to this podcast. I thank you for all the kind words, especially shout out to Envy Daytona on Reddit who actually made a post about this podcast uh, get the word out, which I really appreciate. Everyone who's liked, commented, subscribed, Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean the world to me. This is a love letter to you and to me, the fans. So thank you so much for liking, subscribing, and let's get to it. We got another two years of this. All right. So this week we're breaking down season one, episode 15, Smuggler's Blues. IMDb synopsis. Someone in law enforcement is murdering drug dealers and their families in cold blood. To find the culprit, Crockett and Tubbs go undercover and travel to Columbia with a laid-back pilot to pose as dealers. And who is this laid-back pilot, you ask? None other than Glenn Fry of the Eagles. He is Jimmy, and we'll get to him a little bit later. Now we're opening up on a bridge with a song playing, a Canadian song, a CanCon song. So we're going to celebrate that a little bit later when we get to music. The song playing in the background is Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider. Very cool song and actually really lends itself well to this opening scene. So Crockett and Tubbs and Zito and Switek are in separate cars on a stakeout watching this guy talk to fishermen, talk to this guy in a car. And you can see in the captions that he's basically like, no, 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 okay, I want to do it. I have to think about my family, blah, blah, blah. So obviously there's a drug deal being made. He grabs this cooler from the limo. Passes a little kid trying to sell him a fish or trying to show off his fish. I wasn't sure which, but I felt bad for this little kid. Obviously, I took a gif of it. Goes over to the bridge and drops the cooler 
into a cigarette boat down below. It is funny that Crockett is such an aficionado. He can tell that it's a cigarette boat coming up. And they don't understand why. Tubbs is trying to make sense of this, why he would give up the goods without getting paid first in this next clip. I've ever seen a smoker give up the goods without receiving the goodies. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So Tubbs and Crockett hypothesize that this guy is going to another location to get the money. And Crockett and Tubbs go tail him to find out where he's picking up the money. I did write down that this shot reminds me of the movie. Then it gets more into the episode that this episode very much influenced the movie. I, for one, am not a fan of the movie. And I know a lot of people are. I think that because the show is so meaningful to me and I grew up watching it, that it's very hard for me to enjoy the movie. Also, the movie is not technically good and I know a lot of people are like oh it's very campy I'm like I know but that's not what I really expect from a director like Michael Mann I really enjoyed Collateral I love Thief I love Heat maybe Vice you could tell the plot changes you can tell that they definitely had to work things around I know that Jamie Foxx didn't want to return to the Dominican Republic to film because I think they got caught up in a shooting so I understand that a lot of things had to change while it was filming. And I think that the plot kind of got lost in the way. And I'm saying this as a huge Colin Farrell fan and a crazy obsessed Colin Farrell fan when I was a teenager. I took my friend to see Phone Booth with me, Minority Report, anything with Colin Farrell. So you can imagine how happy I was as a teenager to hear that Colin Farrell is going to be Sonny Crockett. And it just didn't work for me. And yeah. I know the movie is now on HBO Max, but I had to pay for it last year during lockdown, or I guess 2020. And I was so mad that I spent $4 to watch this movie. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have to be high, or maybe you just have to go into it being like, I've never seen the show. I'm just looking at this from a campy, fun perspective where they talk about mojitos, and they... It's a beautiful... It's beautifully shot. And I really enjoy the scene with the Numb Encore remix. But as a Michael Mann movie, I expect a lot better, which I think is fair. And so I digress. Now back to the episode. So as Crockett and Tubbs roll up, they see the gentleman that they've been tailing go into a houseboat. Lights are on and there's a woman tied up. The man trying to enter the door starts freaking out. And fortunately, as he tries to take her down, it's too late and the houseboat blows up. And that's how we end before we go to the intro. So we're not really getting a lot of information as to what's going on. My note verbatim says, what's going on, question mark. And so now the Vice Squad is back. I keep saying the precinct. I can also say OCB, either or. I like saying precinct just because that's kind of the word I grew up hearing on cop shows. So I just assume that everything's a precinct, even though I know there are different departments and there's different agencies and all that. So they're talking to Homicide Lieutenant Jones who is kind of flippant about what's going on. These days don't belong to Capone. And this isn't New York or Chicago. Our politics of contraband. Politics of contraband does not include the killing of children. Politics of contraband. Don't you recognize that from the Smuggler's Blues song? Interesting. We'll talk about that more in the music program. So after Crockett makes that point, he also asks Jones, like, what are you, some kind of fascist? Just because Jones just seems so heartless that he doesn't really care about the families and the children being involved. And 
Jones doesn't really have much to say about it. Thank you, Lieutenant Jones. Those dolphins really are something, huh? Hmm. So they're talking a little bit more about the smuggler they were following. His name is Morales. His wife, unfortunately, perished in the explosion, and Morales was left paralyzed from the waist down. They think that he's more willing to talk now because he is paralyzed for life, which is sad in a lot of ways to think about. And as soon as they're going to go run off to do something else, Castillo gets a call, hands an address to Crockett and Tubbs, and tells them to be there in 20 minutes. Guess we're meeting. We're meeting the dad from Step Brothers. We're actually meeting Ed Waters from the DEA. And he has a little bit more intel as to what's been going on. Apparently this kidnapping explosion smuggler disaster is not the first that's been happening in Miami. So he gives him a little bit of a rundown. The people killing these families come from our side of the fence. Who? DEA, FBI. Coast Guard, Broward County, Metro Dade, I don't have a clue. And they're able to gather this because all the victims of the kidnappings are smugglers who are currently under investigation. So they want to get Crockett and Tubbs to go undercover, pose as dealers and smugglers, use Trudy as bait as Tubbs' wife to see where the leak is coming from. The DEA will release their names on an interagency memo and basically follow the leak. I do actually really feel bad for Trudy in the scene. Not only does she look super beautiful in her pink belted dress, she makes a comment like, oh, I better get my passport renewed. And they basically just shut her down. They're like, no, you're going to be the bait. Knowing what happens to the women involved. Not really an assignment you're looking forward to. So Crockett and Tubbs give Castillo their badges and they go to try to find a source to get them a flight to Cartagena. And they go to what I would describe not really a smack party. Everyone is on something and it doesn't seem like it's cocaine because they seem a little too whacked out. It is just a very weird party. I took pictures. Everyone's kind of in masks or has a mask except for the host and honey as we meet in this next clip. Well, who that dude you with? It's my friend's son. Who's that? This is Honey. Honey? Son. Sonny? Honey! That stumble you heard is that she has something in her mouth that kind of looks like a rib. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I put, obviously, I put pictures on the gallery at viceandeasypodcast.com. And I also took a gif of him and Tubbs doing kind of like they put their fingers under their nose like they're sniffing cocaine and twirl around. So I think that like Tubbs is obviously knows him and obviously has kind of like pretended to be in that scene before. And it's just a very weird, awkward scene. Very weird party. Basically, Zito and Switek bust up the party as Vice. Crockett and Tubbs take him to the bathroom to get a little bit more intel on who can take them to Cartagena. He mentions Jimmy. Where's Jimmy? I don't know. Some hangar somewhere. Cool. Great information. However, it works. The next day, they're pulling up to the hangar. And as you can tell, this was not filmed in Miami. You can see kind of like mountains and stuff in the background. Not really known to Florida. So instead of Cartagena, instead of Colombia, they're obviously filming in Puerto Rico. And I'll get to that more later in the episode. I took a lot of pictures. You can see like the street sign says 25 miles per hour, which wouldn't happen in South America. They don't use miles 
these kilometers would be different and different signs too so we'll get to that more and they see kind of one guy kind of like waving them off ask for Jimmy pull up find Jimmy who else but a handsome Glenn Fry playing a red guitar and it looks like an axe I hate saying that because I don't know if that's the proper term for it but it's like one of those cool really shaped guitars kind of like an axe I want to call it an axe looks super handsome very charming as always rest in peace Glenn Fry but now let's enjoy him as Jimmy in Miami Vice we don't have time for all that just lay down the numbers man I'm real good at what I do I don't come cheap you know take you where you want to go I wait so many hours and I'm a memory and also I ain't John Wayne I don't have an S on my chest okay I'm down with you cats if to play calls for but otherwise I ain't into violence so be brief about your business when we get there just to rewind a few seconds that kind of like clinking that you heard that was Tubbs going through his beaded curtain. <laughs> I took a picture and a gif of it, obviously, so you could see on the gallery. That is something that is very hard to explain to kids nowadays. Like, yeah, back in the day when you went to the movie theater, which we went to the movie, uh, went to the video store, you had to go through the back if you wanted to go to like the dirty movie section. And it was a bead curtain so people would know if you're entering so they could turn around and see. And like college dorms and campuses, everybody loved beaded curtains even though they really don't serve a purpose except for to tell you that someone's entering or leaving so i thought that was really funny and so now smugglers blues is playing we were off the cartagena puerto rico (laughs) tubbs drops trudy off at the motel and they land in colombia jimmy has gotten them a beautiful suite with an amazing room can't see my eyes are rolling in the back of my head but please look at the picture (laughs) it's like this dilapidated rundown room but it does have a view of the guy they're going to meet so basically to kind of backtrack a little bit because i realized i kind of skipped over this they're giving croc and tubs a million dollars to do this deal and they're also giving them fake identities fake backstories morales is going to work and say that tubs is one of his cousins thereby trying to get him in to the drug dealer so they can make this deal and so they're in the room. They give Jimmy, I think is an Uzi. They give him a gun, basically, and say, if you see anything that you don't like. Tubbs, go down, does, Tubbs goes down to make the deal. Also, the guy is playing with quarters, American quarters, again, because Puerto Rico is a Commonwealth territory of the United States. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. And so he's playing with the quarters and then throws the quarters to a little shirtless boy and this boy comes back in the episode so I don't know if that means that the little boy has now joined this quote unquote gang or team it is really sad because the kid looks to be like maybe 7 or 8 years old he's obviously skinny and has nowhere to go you know might be homeless or orphaned so it is really sad but back to business Tubbs wants to do 22 a key he is not playing that. He pushes back and says 30. He offers protection security, but they both want to make a deal and they both have other places to go. Do you know how many gringos come here looking to make a deal? You know how many Colombians want to make a deal? basically Tubbs is pushing back on grossero which is funny if you speak spanish grossero means kind of like rude or gross so i thought that was funny just a 
Interesting name for a sleazy drug dealer. Um, Tubbs, again, he's here to play hardball. Time is money. And basically the meeting ends. Nothing is going to happen. Grossero says, if I see you again, maybe we'll see. And as they're finishing up their meeting, Crockett finishes, finishes, wow, finishes his shot and then puts his lit cigarette right in his mouth in like one fell swoop. And I made a gif of it because I was like, what else does Crockett love more than whiskey and cigarettes? <laughs> and so as they're walking away from this deal, a woman comes up to Tubbs crying out in Spanish that she needs help. This kind of reminded me of Red Dead Redemption when women on the side of the road would ask you for help and most of the time you would get ambushed by their gang. And I'm not trying to take away from being a good Samaritan, but I learned this early going to Europe as a teenager is like, don't. Call 911 if you want or whatever, 999. (laughs) But be very careful. A lot of these times it's distractions to pickpocket you. So I know that sounds a little callous and a little cold, but... Yeah. Also, there was an episode of Sons of Anarchy where Gemma stopped to help a woman who she thought her baby was in trouble and it ended up horribly for Gemma. So after that, I'm also very, I will not stop and help anyone. I will call 911, but I will not get out of the car. So that's just a little safety tip. But as you can see, they still get ambushed by these guys. They're fighting. Tubbs is wrestling somebody when Jimmy and Crockett, Jimmy comes out to help Crockett. They're on one side. Tubbs is wrestling this guy. Two of the bandits already kind of give up and concede. They're on their knees with their hands behind their head. The police come. Crockett and Jimmy get away. Crockett wants to stay and get Tubbs and not leave without his partner. Jimmy basically points a gun at Crockett and tells him that we got to leave now. And... This is very poignant because we kind of touch on it in the next scene where the reasoning on Jimmy's side and Crockett's side, although they're different, they do have a lot in common and they talk about that in this next scene and that why sometimes you do have to leave people in need and then sometimes you do have to stay behind and help people. And they do find common ground in this next clip. This place is like Dodge City, 1985. I know. That's why I only fly the planes. Look, I'm sorry about your partner. I've been around that block before. Numb, air calf. Yeah. Lose a lot of buddies you were close to. I lost count. I really like that none of the other bonding that Crockett's theme is playing in the background. Even more bonding, I took a gif of this. Jimmy hands Crockett a cigarette. Crockett removes the filter in one go and smokes it filterless. That is serious business. I'm not here to glamorize smoking. It is awful and you will die a very long, painful death. But that scene, you're like, God damn, that is some Marlboro Man stuff. And speaking of cigarettes, Tubbs is in Colombian jail. He is shirtless. He is sequestered from the other prisoners. And he talks to a guard named Toto, who's actually very clever. My name is Lieutenant Toto. In English, it means everything. 
clever and super corrupt, but anyhow, basically he starts kind of talking to Tubbs once they kind of get more to the background of Morales and his cousin and all that. And Tubbs plays the game very well. He's like, don't insult my family. That's my primo. I like a little Spanglish thrown in there, like even though Tubbs speaks Spanish. Anywho, also Tubbs's fake record. He went to Rikers, all this stuff, all these different charges. Like they do make him look like a very, very bad man. However, this is really appealing to the guard. The guard is totally happy. Definitely wants to make sure that him and Grossero hit it off splendidly and parts with this note. I'm going to tell Senor Grossero that you're clean. I certainly hope that you consider me your friend in Cartagena. Back to the hotel, quote unquote, room they go because they have a meeting with Grossero in 20 minutes. They make their way off to his nightclub, which is not in the greatest part of town. Basically, there's a broken down car, a pig, couple dogs, garbage, a couple kids playing in the garbage, a guy sleeping outside of the club, um, another guy just wandering around. Then you have the bouncer who lets them in. <laughs> it's, it's a little interesting. It's a little jarring. But ooh, does it get better once they get into the club? The camera, I really like the shot. Again, this episode is directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who we know from Starsky and Hutch. He also he directed a lot of episodes of Miami Vice. The way they enter the club is like it's very smoky, darkly lit, lots of interesting characters around. There's a lady smoke at the bar who looks really great in red lipstick. The little kid is shirtless and dancing. There's another teenager in a wife beater tank top and a cigarette, smoking a cigarette. There's a guy with what looks like a pretty scary gun next to a mirror with like cutouts of women on the mirror. Then you have Grossero himself. It looks like he's passed out. I took a picture of this because it looks like his head's tilted back. It looks like he's sleeping. And like this rainbow color of lights shining down on him like a spotlight. It's very interesting. It is. I took a couple pictures, a couple gifts because it's very smoky and just kind of seeing the motion of everybody in the club. Very interesting. So Tubbs. Oh, my God straight up pulls a gun on Grossero in his nightclub with his goons looking on with guns. It is, when I say balls, I mean balls that it takes to do this. I was shocked. I remember I just put like, oh, and my notes are like, oh my God. And when it comes to business, Tubbs is not playing in this next clip. If I just blow that coke right back out of you, amigo. Must be angry. Un poquito. Look, I'm a careful man. Your cousin would like you to do business with a careless man. I don't like your technique. And to be fair to Tubbs, I would not want to be thrown in Colombian prison in 1985 either. Um, the next thing that happens is that his goons bring out a tray of cocaine shaped in the letter F. <laughs> oh. I can't even, I can't even. It is the most 80s over-the-top thing I've seen in quite a long time in Miami Vice. Like, some things I don't think you could top. This is one thing I do not think you could top. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ooh, all right, I'm coming down. So Tubbs has a little test tube that he tests it with. What I'm also wondering, if you are an undercover cop, please let me know. Please email me because I'm very curious at viceandeasypodcast at gmail.com. 
do you have to do drugs with these people to test it? Like, that's what I'm thinking is that as a bartender, people ask me to drink all the time and I get a few people that really don't like it and press back on it. So I can't imagine if I was undercover as a drug dealer or as a smuggler and I didn't test their Coke, wouldn't they kind of catch on? I, I So I really want to know. This is something I actually want to research after I record this episode because I'm very curious. And so in lieu of actually testing himself, Tubbs is testing in a test tube, which is fair. And there also is a saying from Scarface, never get high on your own supply, which I think is very true. And that's what I take with me as a sober bartender. And it kind of gives me a little bit more credence. You know, I don't get high on my own supply. I see what it does to people. I don't want it, but I'll make money off of it. Just saying, business. <laughs> Again, they can't agree on a price. They keep going 25, 27. It's a lot of back and forth. It's really annoying. But Crock and Tubbs, again, have serious balls and they do not want to negotiate and they want to do this on their own terms. You park the cars trunk to trunk and exchange keys. We'll call you. You'll have 10 minutes to get there. 10 minutes and 30 seconds, and we're history. Look, if, if you won't do business here, why uh, don't you stay and have a drink? Because we're not thirsty. Oh, there we go. He kind of answered my own question. I love this. I love how badass they are. So... Now we're meeting at the graveyard cemetery. It's very beautiful. Again, the shirtless kid is there. Really sad. I don't know if that's supposed to like be a theme or like a symbol of innocence or just corruption. I don't know. Very sad. Poor kid. So they park the cars trunk to trunk. There's a briefcase full of cash. Sonny has driven up in his own white Mustang. And oh my God. Again, if you are driving, please continue driving. And whenever you pull over, you park. Please go to vicenewspodcast.com and check out the gallery for season one, episode 15. It is the first picture I put. It is the thumbnail. It is also the picture that should show up on your car um, as the episode cover art. I cannot believe how handsome Todd Johnson looks. It is almost unfair to any other man in that time, except for maybe Philip Michael Thomas, because how can you be that handsome? Like, my lord. I can't get over it, how good he looks. Smoking a cigarette on his Mustang, I just can't. And also, this episode, I know that Joel Cerno isn't a direct writer, but he was like an executive story editor, so I know that he had his hands in a lot of episodes. This episode not only can tie into the movie, which we'll get to later, also ties into 24, because as we see, Crockett is in the exact same outfit. (laughs) Poor guy. And so as they're driving off... They say this deal went down smooth as glass. Little kid runs away. They pull up to the airplane. Uh Uh-oh. They have some friends. They get ambushed again. Jimmy mentions that they're trying to block the runway so they can't get out. So luckily, Crockett is able to divert them, distract them, drives the Mustang. They crash into each other. And luckily, since they've collided into each other, Crockett can break free, run to the plane. As it's taking off, just about to to lift off, Tubbs pulls him in for safety. I'll thank you later. And as they're flying back to Miami, the plane drops the cocaine 
at the drop spot, close to where Tubbs has parked his car. But however, the guy that we saw earlier at the hangar and another guy are surveying the air traffic and see the drop. They know what's in it. So unfortunately, as Croc and Tubbs and Jimmy all come back, they get ambushed once again. Third ambush of the episode? Fourth? Third? And they know where Trudy is and they want money. Tubbs tells them to take the coke that it's worth much more than that. However, this is their retort. We ain't in the coke selling business. We're in the cash business. We got three hours to raise it. Hold it, baby. And that's when Jimmy pulls up in a Jeep Renegade. Jeep Renegades are V8 Jeeps. They're very fun. There was one parked by me in Silver Lake for years, and it was like completely roofless, doorless. I think that maybe they would put the doors on the side, but it looked like a lot of fun. It looked like a lot of trouble, but looked like a lot of fun. Naturally, shoot it occurs. Jimmy gets shot. They're able to take down the guy with... <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to laugh at this. It is a white sleeveless cotton button-up shirt, but it's long. I took a picture of it. I took a picture of it, of course. And it's just very an, a very interesting choice for a smuggler in what appears to be kind of like the bayou forest. Just very, very weird. Very interesting. However, they take the guy who survived, and they want answers. So they take him to a phone booth to answer the call because he says that he doesn't know anything, that he's waiting for a call. So naturally, because it's the 80s, they take him to a payphone. Zito and Switek are already there. They're trying to triangulate the position. Um, please look at the high tech that they're using. Because <laughs> Croc... <laughs> Crockett says that the guy's using a mobile phone so they can't get the correct coordinates. And it's this giant machine that... Crockett's using to talk to Castillo. <laughs> and so now, at least with a little bit more information, they go to the trailer to try to see what's going on themselves. When they approach, Gina's there, Castillo's there, a gentleman we have not met before who is like the bomb tech is there. And they're basically saying that they don't see any wires. However, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that it can't be loaded. There could definitely be a nuclear bomb or something of the sort there. Just because you don't see it, wire doesn't mean that it's not there. Gina really, really, really wants to go in. And I don't really like how she's getting brushed off. However, I know that this is life or death. But they could at least respond to her and just tell her absolutely not. You know, it's a very high risk situation that you are not trained for, which I think is fair. However, even the bomb tech wants to go in alone. And Crockett's not having any of that. I'll be his backup. I'm used to going alone. No way, pal. I'm taking you in. If there's somebody in there with her, I want it. Please, let me go in there. Crockett, take him in. So, Sam, his name, the bomb tech, and Crockett go in. They go in very slowly, announce themselves, do a little recon, make sure that there's no one else in there. Unfortunately, it's just Trudy tied up. Sam rolls out plastic material. And he says this too in the episode. I did not get a clip of it. I'm sorry. But he basically is rolling out plastic so as to not conduct any more static electricity is what I'm thinking. Or um, So they walk on that to get to the kitchen where Trudy is tied up. Sam gives them bad news that it's a very serious bomb. Very sensitive. If you blow on it the wrong way, move an inch the wrong way, it could set it off. 
Trudy is shaking. Of course, her she's incredibly nervous, as anyone would be being tied up to a highly sensitive bomb. Crockett comes in clutch in this scene. I don't know if he's a hostage negotiator, if he's taken the training, but maybe this is a new segment. Sonny Crockett, ASMR. So peaceful and mellow, calm. So basically, at the same time that Crockett is trying to relax Gina by telling him about their trip, even though it was not peaceful and calm and quiet at all, I appreciate that he's lying to help out a friend in need. The bomb tech is slowly but surely trying to dismantle the bomb. So basically, there's like a little hook that is connected to wire. So what they're trying to do is extremely carefully unhook it without knocking any of the sensors around it. So there's a reason why Trudy is shaking like leaf because this is very high pressure and very scary. So at the same time, Tubbs doesn't want to drop the money to the guy in the cigarette boat before they rescue Trudy. However, that kind of gets shut down. They worry that they can just blow her up either way and that he should just do the money drop. So Tubbs takes the duffel bag and he's on the phone Sorry, on the mic or on the wire. Let's let's be real. It's 1985 on the wire. And he jumps over the bridge into the cigarette boat, confronts the guy. And the guy, not really having any of it. They punch out, they fight it out. The guy basically says, hey, if I take my finger off this button, they're dead. The trailer's blowing up. However, he's surrounded. He wants to get out. He's like, look, just look the other way. I'm going to go swim out. Tub says, no can do, man. You're surrounded by every angle. Almost every law enforcement agency is there with them. So, no surprise, Tubbs shoots him and he hits the button. The trailer blows up. Tubbs sees the smokes and he starts freaking out. Luckily, he gets a really good call. And two seconds later. Hey, Sonny? We're okay. We're all okay. <sighs> Santa Maria Madrios. Luckily, we do see her getting cut out of the rope, and luckily it was just in time for them to all get out. So this episode does end on somewhat of a happy ending. And an acoustic version of Smuggler's Blues plays in the background as they're kind of all talking at the scene. Turns out Lieutenant Jones, a.k.a. the Miami Dolphins fan, was the rat after all. The DA agent, a.k.a. the dad from Step Brothers, is wondering, why would anyone do that? And basically, Tub spells it out. Literally, he says M-O-N-E-Y money. Like, it's not really hard to see how people get corrupt in this industry. And the episode ends with Crockett and Tubbs consoling Trudy and cut to scene. All right, and that's the episode. So let's start breaking it down. Vice tea. I don't really have a ton of vice tea, but let's give you a little bit of background on your guest stars. First off, Glenn Fry. You'll know him from The Eagles. He's actually originally from Michigan, worked with Bob Seger. And you might also know him not from his work in the the Eagles. You might also know him from the Heat Is On from Beverly Hills Cop. And the Heat Is On was actually a collaboration with Harold Faltemeyer. And Harold Faltemeyer is the guy that wrote Axel F. Also, you might also know the Crazy Frog version of it, depending on whether or not you're European or not. Or if you summoned in Europe in 2004-05. And his son, unfortunately after Glenn's passing, his son 
took his place in the band. Uh, until recently, I think he left, I want to say, last year. I know the Eagles are still on tour. But yeah, unfortunately, Glenn passed in 2016. Very sad. He was only 67 years old. Great guy, super charming. And this is a fun fact I actually learned. Smuggler's Blues was not written explicitly for Miami Vice in the way that You Belong to the City was. That's what I always thought. Turns out that Smuggler's Blues was already a song and that they kind of took inspiration from that song for this episode, which is why you'll see and hear so much like the politics of contraband, so forth and so forth. You'll hear those lyrics, not only in the episode, but in the song, which I thought was really interesting. And regarding the movie, there are a lot of parallels from this episode to the movie. Uh, Trudy being tied up and held. In the movie, I believe it's neo-Nazis. And the nightclub scene, a little bit, not as wild, not with a tray full of monogrammed cocaine, how 80s. And kind of the scene on the bridge. The scene on the bridge, I think, is the exact same location. Just obviously the skyline has changed a little bit of Miami from 20. 1985 to 2006? Yeah, oh my God, wow. And I really did like that it was shot in digital, like Collateral. I just think Collateral is a much better movie and has a much better plot. Actually, has a plot. My advice didn't really have a plot. Um, however, maybe, you know what I will do this weekend is I will rewatch the movie and I will just try to focus on it as a campy movie, not as a continuation to my favorite show of all time. And I think I will view it in a much nicer lens. So that's going to be my positivity homework for the weekend. All right, now let's get down to fashion. All right, so there weren't a lot of wardrobe changes that you could tell by Sonny's outfit. This also kind of makes me wonder if kind of Joel Cerno kind of got a little bit of the ideas for 24 because I think this is maybe 48 hours and Sonny has not changed once. I don't even know if he slept. Maybe it is just 24 hours. Um, I'm assuming the flight to Columbia would at least be five hours from Miami, maybe less. I should look that up. I'll do that right now. Oh, okay. Wow. I take that back. It's three hours and five minutes. Okay. So you could fly to Cartagena and back and I don't, but the sun is still shining the entire time. So maybe they just didn't do anything else except for, no. And then he was in jail. Okay. So yeah, it's been at least 24 to 48 hours that he's been in this outfit. So props to him. He looks so handsome. Oh my God. The Him taking the shot and with the Mustang, you just cannot deny how handsome Todd Johnson in the 80s was. Still to this day, he still looks great. I don't know what he did. Don't know if it's plastic surgeon or just really good jeans and staying out of the sun, but kudos to him. So naturally, because Crockett had to be in that outfit the entire time, I'm going to give it to him. Second, I'm actually going to give Trudy the best dressed woman, because unfortunately Gina didn't really get to wear anything fun this episode. She just wore a gray button-up shirt. Trudy, Trudy, I really liked her pink belted dress and I thought it was really pretty wild card is going to be wavy davy that was the air controller slash wannabe poacher his friend in the long unbuttoned white sleeveless shirt (laughs) that's my wild card so wild card is going to be it's my new category wild card is going to be someone who's like actually not that well dressed but just I could not avert my eyes or I just appreciate it so much on a tacky level so that's going to be kind of like a fun one I'm going to have fun with and now let's get down to music so a couple songs this episode obviously it opens with Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider Canadian band formed in Toronto Tom Cochran is a name that you might recognize if you're Canadian 
you've heard Life is a Highway a million times on the radio. Unfortunately, it has become more and more common since I left. Every time I go home, put on the car radio, because sometimes I do really enjoy just driving around and some stations are really cool. There's this one, 97.7 Hits FM, that I think is from Ajax or Whippy, and it's kind of like all 90s and 2000s rock. And it is kind of fun to rediscover, you know, like Moist and Our Lady Peace, all the bands that my brother grew up with, and therefore, like, I wanted to like and be cool. And then obviously, you know, I like listening to classic rock. And unfortunately, just it has changed a little bit in the last years. Not only is classic rock things that I grew up with now, which is a little offensive, there's not as much variation on the radio in Canada. So CanCon, I think I've already explained this before. If you're a new listener, I'm sorry, I'll get this quickly. CanCon is a law that radio stations, television, so forth, have to show Canadian content. There are four markers of Canadian content. I know for songs, it is lyrics, producers, performers, and where it's actually recorded, if I remember correctly. And... If you meet all four, you're perfect CanCon, you get played all the time. If you meet like one or two, you won't get played as much. So a lot of Canadian artists maintain recording studios in Canada to kind of help them get one extra CanCon step to help them get more airplay. So by law, radio stations, except for in Windsor, Windsor has a lower amount. Have to play, if I remember correctly, 25 to 35%, maybe it's 20 to 30. I know in Windsor it's down to like 10 to 20. That's a very interesting article. I'll link to that later in the show notes of... Canadian content during primetime hours on the radio. Obviously, that changes a little bit. And I know now with streaming, there are certain rules in place, Sirius XM, they have Canadian channels. So there's a lot of legislation to kind of continue and support Canadian content. However, does not mean that I enjoy listening to Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran a million times. <laughs> On every radio station, it's like you try to go to like, okay, this is like the adult contemporary. Oh, this is, except for the top 40 stations, it is everywhere. And I know because it got really big with Rascal Flats from Cars. So uh, that's why when I saw the name Tom Cochran, I was like, ah, nothing against the guy. The other song they're known for is Big League, which I also kind of thought was cheesy. And then I realized um, it's actually super poignant. It's about like a really young, promising hockey star who dies tragically in a car accident right after he's signed to the big leagues. And I started to tear up a little bit when I was reading about that because, wow, I did not realize that when I listened to the song. So that's a little CanCon fun fact. But yes, Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider is their most popular song, naturally. And a great intro song to this episode. Again, we also have Smuggler's Blues, written by Glenn Fry, and the acoustic version they play at the end. Smuggler's Blues, I do enjoy. However... My favorite, 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 favorite song ever on Miami Vice is You Belong to the City. I don't know how you can not like that song. And I guess to be fair, I was born in a big city and then I was raised in a big city. So I've only ever lived in cities. So I just remember being a teenager in Toronto, like walking around at night, seeing the like the signs and the lights and just like having that song blast my iPod and it just felt super cool. And then, of course, we get Crockett's theme by Jan Hammer playing when they're talking about Nam. So overall, number one song in this episode obviously has to be the song after which is named for Smuggler's Blues. And with that, a new category, one-liners. Time is money. This is true. Inflation, folks. We're about to hit a recession. Time is money. And now let's round up the episode with the Fay Five. No surprise, 
Sunny leaning on the white Mustang, smoky cigarette. Oh my. Number one. Number two. Trudy and Crockett. And it's a scene of them. She's in the pink dress. He's in the coral undershirt and blue blazer that he's going to be wearing for the next two to three days. Of course, the monogrammed cocaine. I I burst out laughing when I saw this. I still cannot get over it. Four, Crockett is ripping off the filter to smoke that cigarette. <laughs> and of course, the beaded curtain to round up the Fave Five. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This was Vice and Easy. We did Smuggler's Blues this week. Next week... One of my favorite episodes, Rites of Passage. So I will definitely be crying in on the podcast. I'm already taking all the videos and uh, screen grabs and it definitely hurts. It's a great episode. Young John Turturro, Pam Greer. Can't, can't resist it. So definitely tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please like, please subscribe. If you want to leave a five-star review, that'd be awesome. I actually got two five-star reviews on Apple and there was no name, no anonymous. And I didn't put them there myself. Usually I do. I am not one to lie. So thank you, mysterious review leavers. And as always, you can find me on all things social at viceandeasypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week when we do Rites of Passage. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.